Hey everybody, this is Kristen Kraft from Crafted Coaching and you're listening to the No One Leads Alone podcast for trailblazers and education who love learning from other leaders across the country so you can take advantage of their experiences and duplicate their efforts in your school or district. Stop feeling alone and left to figure things out on your own. Let's grow. No One Leads Alone podcast is powered by Generation Esports and Gaming Concepts, a video game curriculum for schools. Students love competition video gaming, so it's perfect for interest-based learning. Educators know that esports is already capturing some of the more high-risk and less engaged students in our schools, but what are we doing once they're in our classrooms? By focusing on three mental health determinants of self-esteem, self-efficacy, and life skills, teachers can engage students in authentic and engaging moments of preventative mental health. Gaming Concepts is a series of video game courses for schools, is an educator's guide to teaching college and career-ready skills, social-emotional learning, and digital citizenship through the lens of video games. The STEM-approved curriculum includes 81 lessons complete with lesson overviews, content standards, materials needed, and directions. Focusing on scholastic gaming, competitive gaming, and social gaming has never been easier to implement in schools by experienced, novice, or just those who love gamers. The course can be taught for a half a credit or a full credit and is appropriate for middle and high school. For more information, check it out at www.highschoolesportsleague.com slash gaming concepts. Well, hello there, leaders. Welcome to another episode of No One Leads Alone. Today, I'm so excited to bring to you Dr. Christopher Jensen. Dr. Jensen is a former emergency medicine physician and science teacher and proudly serves as a senior health advisor for school districts and businesses across the United States. His recent book, After the Mask, A Guide to Caring for Students in Schools, peaked at Amazon's number one bestseller and number one new release in multiple education and mental health related categories. Dr. Jensen is passionate about youth and mental health, focusing his work on evidence-based initiatives to improve the mental health of students and staff. He is also the co-writer on a gaming concepts curriculum that include mental health moments from his research and studies. And I'm super excited to have this conversation with him today, and I hope that you all will enjoy it. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jensen. How are you today? Doing well. Just came off a snow day, pretending I'm a little refreshed. Motrin fixed all the muscle aches from shoveling, so I'm good to go. So you got to do all the shoveling. Do you have kids that can do the shoveling? I do. I have two amazing daughters who, uh, for some reason, I just can't recruit to shovel very well. They, uh, they're all about snowmen and uh, sledding, but not so much shoveling. But you just know, like don't slow- like that. How old are they? Uh, I got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and yeah. they're both going on 19. Yeah. Both going on 19. So yeah, so they're probably not real interested in taking that shovel and doing much with it, but sure is fun when daddy makes piles, right? Exactly. Better snow forts. <laughs> Better snow forts. I love it. Well, would you prefer I call you Dr. Jensen or Chris? No, let's go with Chris. Chris. If I hear Dr. Jensen, I feel like there's a trauma. So Chris right? would be great. Okay. I love yep. that. Just to kick us off, let's give your current context of what you're doing these days, Chris. Sure. So um, I am fortunate to serve as a health advisor for businesses and school districts around the United States, which is a job that I fell into unexpectedly, but absolutely love. Um, And when I say fell into unexpectedly, my prior career was emergency medicine and urgent care. And I did that for more than a decade. Uh, Loved it, but needed a life change as our family was adapting and walked into education. The thought was, prepare to laugh, I'll do this whole teaching thing because it looks easy. And I can get some guaranteed income (laughs) while I build my consulting practice. Mm. And holy cow, was I fell for it. I fell for it. Uh, But I also fell for it in a good way. I mean, I I loved working with kids. I loved my colleagues. Uh, Teaching was a very good chapter of my life. You know, I taught high school science for for about 10 years. Um, And so between medicine and education, I literally fell into the opportunity to be a health advisor, um, mainly for issues in education. Well, I bet you've had a busy year. Or two. Uh, Being the health advisor, you know, what were you prior to the pandemic? What were you advising schools on? It's it's tough to remember. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, issues that are still there, you know, uh, all all jokes aside, I mean, 
issues of vaping, um, issues of neglect, issues mm-hmm. of mental health, mm-hmm. um, the, the struggles that um, schools fight with every day on, on top of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, from a job security standpoint, um, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's kind of tragic that, that schools deal with all these, these issues. But we do have kids 40 hours a week. And within the capacity that we're built, there are good things we can do. We can't do everything, but mm-hmm. there are good things we can do. Absolutely. It's it's interesting to me that you talked about, you know, the things prior to the pandemic with vaping. I remember thinking during during the height of COVID and and how stressful it has been, you know, as a I'm a former principal and thinking, gosh, I just missed the days of vaping. Like that's really <coughs> what came across my head. That's terrible, but it it was just this epiphany of, wow, there's so many other things we know are still out there, but the focus is so big on this right now. So what a a great background and story and that you went into teaching and and now you're doing this for schools and districts. What a perfect mix for you. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, life life has a way of sometimes taking care of you. It does. (laughs) Um, I I believe that. I I am grateful that I fell into this and it's, it's really become my passion. That's wonderful. What do you think is the most controversial topic in education today? Wow. Um, there are a lot to pick from. Uh, but from my perspective, I would say student and staff mental health. Um, I think that all the other things we hope to accomplish in schools that we prioritize based on our needs around the country um, are not possible if your kids and teachers and administrators are not in a place where they can be mentally sound, taken care of, um, and, and really f- feel like they're balanced, at least close to balance. Um, and that has really been tested to the limits um, for quite some time. I could not agree with you more. I think the trauma that is experienced over these past couple of years, not even just with students, but with staff as well, principals, superintendents, board members, there's a real major, major outcry for doing things a little differently than how we used to always do them. I think it's shown us that. What I've also felt like is we've kind of gone back to business as usual. And we've talked about that there is a mental health need. You know, I stepped away from all of it for a lot of different reasons, but one of them was for my own personal mental health and making sure that I was doing the right things for me. I'm just putting myself out there. But we're not doing anything. We're not act we're not really doing anything. You know, we're trying to do we're trying to say that it's a need and yet who's who said they feel like their mental health has been addressed this year? I'm not sure that anybody feels that way in the world of education or in principalships or superintendents or even maybe maybe students because I think we're trying to find ways to dig into that, right? But the adults mm-hmm. are kind of forgotten. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, and when you think of, you know, you can focus on all the challenges that educators at any capacity have gone through in the last few years, and they're tremendous. But I think what's most important when you have that discussion is not just the challenges, but these were well outside the scope of training and practice. You know, all of a sudden, teachers, principals became the go-to person to solve everything. You know, that's just, that's a huge ask that in many ways is, it's a war of attrition and it wears you down. And I understand why a lot of educators are struggling right now and something I don't take lightly. And yes, I, I think that we have had our heart in the right place with mental health issues in the world of education for a long time. You know, social emotional learning is, mm-hmm. is a concept that, that I believe in, but so is self-care. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. If I get another email about traditional SEL or self-care, I'm going to lose my mind. And the reason I say that is because we're clinging to it, hoping that somehow it'll work. And it, it's a well-designed, thought-out process, but the data has shown it's not enough. And, you know, there's nothing wrong. I'll pick on myself with, with Chris coming home and playing guitar poorly for 15 minutes a night to have a mental space. And there's nothing wrong for me going for a run. But I think what is wrong is why are we having educators and students battle through a hard day and say, put a band-aid on it before and after your job? Or put a band-aid on it before or after school, but we don't have much for you while you're here. And I'm not trying to attack schools. Schools are working their tail off oh, to come yeah. up with solutions. For sure. Um, but I think that, you know, more assistance need to be given. Um, they are 
you know, they, I'll pick up myself when I was a teacher, Hey, I knew how to teach science, but that was what I knew how to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're asking someone to go outside their wheelhouse and solve a massive problem across the country without help, it's, it's probably not possible. You said that better than I could have said that. And I, and I really think that when we think about teachers and what we're asking them to do, it's the same thing. And, and again, this podcast is really for building leaders and district leaders. We're doing, we're asking the principals to do the same thing for their staff with no real training or how to quite do that. So what we know is the wheelhouse and we'll just do business as usual, right? Mm -hmm. And superintendents are stressed out and doing their thing and they're supposed to provide that for the principals. The reality is the adults have to start figuring out like, and maybe you can agree or disagree, but they've got to start figuring out there's plenty of avenues out there to get connected and to do things for themselves because no one's going to do it for you. That's really what I have come to to realize backing away from education for the past nine months and being in the thick of it. At the same time, how are we as leaders providing that for our staff? Or are we just providing continued PD and the advisory time so we can check off the list that we've taught perseverance this week? Mm-hmm. It, I think it does start at the top. And those conversations have to be different or they're never going to trickle down to what the students need. What are your thoughts yeah, on that? I, no, I, I think you're spot on. And I mean, it's a daunting position to be in. You know, it's right. easy to criticize a leader of a school district or a state board of education, but they're in a tough spot and I'm actually mm-hmm. empathetic to it. That said, business as usual has not solved the problem. I mean, if you look at some of the mental health metrics in schools, right, go pre-COVID. Let's, let's forget about the virus for a sec. You know, the CDC will tell you that between 2009 and 2019, student depression or feelings of hopelessness rose 40%. Mm. The American Academy of Pediatrics in 2019 released that one out of three kids would experience symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. This is all pre-pandemic. Right. You know, and if, and the most horrific topic is if you look at student suicides and mental health Mm -hmm. issues, those are on the rise. Uh, the Surgeon General in December of 2021 confirmed that there was yet another spike in suicidal ideations and ER visits. Right. Went up in boys, but it really went up in adolescent females. I've got two daughters. That caught my attention. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think there's never been a time, and, and I really want to turn this as an opportunity as opposed to an obligation. I agree. There has never been a time for leaders to leverage new ideas and new strategies because the data justifies it. and. I do believe I was in the classroom, you know, um, during some of these statistics I just rattled off. That was part of the time I was teaching. We have had our heart in the right place. We are trying lots of good things, but the data would suggest it's not working. And that doesn't mean we beat our head against the wall. It means that we feel justified Mm -hmm. to try new things. Will they work to some extent? Some won't, some will. Right. Um, But now I think that our leadership at every capacity, yes, you know, is, is justified to try new strategies with students, new strategies with staff. But back to your original point, business as usual is not going to get us out of this hole. I agree. And I love how you said leverage new ideas and new strategies because the data is showing it wasn't working before. And when you when you say data, I want to be clear. I wanted some clarity on that. Were you talking about some of the SEL programs that we've had in place for this, that, or the other? And what kind, I mean, what were you seeing as a, as a teacher and, and looking at it from a doctor's lens with a passion for mental health? Sure. A lot of the SEL strategies that are out there um, have been around pre-2000. And when you look and review them, they're great. They're brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think the implementation of some of these strategies is maybe where we got ourselves in trouble. And mm-hmm. every district's different. I, I understand that. But I think most of the leaders or educators listening to this podcast can identify with the following. There's 3 million things going on in your day. Mm-hmm. You need to have a discussion about drunk driving because the state or district requires you to, or alcoholism, or drug and alcohol use in general. I'm going to go hire this guy to talk in a gym. <laughs> or this lady to give a virtual presentation. We have over lots Zoom. of we'll little, check. yep, check the box. Right, we'll check the box. Exactly. And so if I'm a kid, I'm halfway through Macbeth and I get pulled to an assembly to talk in a gym, maybe with 1,400 other students about 
you know, drug and alcohol abuse, which is a pertinent topic, but I'm on my phone. I'm not paying attention. You haven't grabbed my, 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 you know, desire to listen. Um, and I know because I've been one of those speakers and that's not nearly as effective as if you could leverage content that kids care about mm-hmm. and then field it into an SEL topic. SEL is not bad. Right. It's just, it's, it's just, delivery. I, I, I think that's one of the places we're struggling and, and I'm more than happy to pick on myself. There were times where I would be flying through the week, getting what I needed to get done and then have an awkward pause and hey, fourth hour, I'm supposed to deliver this lesson to you. And right. that was not my A game. And I mm-hmm. and I did my students a disservice, but it was the reality of the construct that we mm-hmm. all worked in. Yeah. Cause we're gonna work these into our lessons or homeroom time. And I've been guilty of, you know, having the keynotes come in or trying to do some things. But ultimately, my personal belief is it has to be embedded. It can't be one more thing. Mm-hmm. The way we embed it, I have a love-hate with programs. For example, I think of like the AVID program, which I absolutely love. But I also at the same time think, why do we have to have a program for kids to feel like they have a teacher in the building that makes them want to come to school? Right. Every teacher should be that way in a school, right? But the reality yeah. is we have all these programs and we hire per, you know, specific teachers to do these things, to, to be an avid teacher, because we, need, we know that there are certain kids that need that. They have to have a why mm-hmm. and a reason to come to school every day. So I love programs and think they can work. And I also get frustrated with programs because I want it to just be embedded as a normal part of the school whether that's mm-hmm. the teacher, the curriculum, or something that we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, uh, gosh, my English colleagues will probably assassinate me on this, but I think I am using irony correctly here. The yeah. irony of that, that irony of that situation is when you as a teacher have a yep. relationship with a kid, um, that speaks volumes. And are you going to connect with every kid? No, nope. but good teachers connect with most kids. Right. And you're going to learn or a student is going to learn a lot more from a discussion that's an SEL-ish type topic when it's with the teacher they care about, that they love walking into the room, that they're excited no matter how crappy second hour was. I'm excited to see Mrs. Smith third hour. I'll listen to anything Mrs. Smith says. Exactly. And, you know, and I think the pressure that a lot of staff have felt and a lot of administrators Mm -hmm. too, to to no fault of their own is, but I have to adhere to the state standards and the district expectations and look at my checklist. It's a mile long. Okay. I agree. Been there, did it 10 years. But what I would argue is, uh, let me talk about my class. Sure. It was in Kansas. Does Kansas expect me to teach the lung anatomy? You bet. Are there some things we're expected to cover according to my district about the lung? You bet. Am I going to go rogue? No, but I have the art of teaching. And instead of spending 15 extra minutes on the alveoli, I'm going to take this discussion today and I'm going to talk about the ethics of lung transplant. And holy cow, do we get into a touchy-feely discussion? You betcha. One that's scientifically based, one that's justified, one that's not going rogue. But all of a sudden, we talk about emotions and respect and empathy. And we did it naturally. And it's connected to the lesson. And you know what? Pretty much every principal in America who has their head in the right place Absolutely. or superintendent is going to say, in today's time, looking at the mental health data that we're staring at with kids yes. and the fact that you, Chris, are burnt out in your job, if you just want to spend 15 minutes on a block day to connect with kids, please do it. Absolutely. Please do it. Bring some fun back into your job and actually instruct the kids based off content that they, they signed up for your class for a reason. Now you're going to connect the content that they were interested in into something that's really a life skill. That's what you need to be doing. Right. And, and you know, and, and I think uh, as I look back at the time I spent in the classroom, it's not like I was like, wow, I wish you could have seen my electron transport chain lesson. I was a genius. No, it was, right. it was the conversations I had with kids and yes. the funny moments that I had with kids yes. where I enjoyed coming to work because the pay and the benefits aren't exactly stellar. Right. It was give me the license and the opportunity and the time to connect with children because that's why I want to become a teacher. Right. We've never been more justified than to do that right now. Oh, I totally agree. I I literally had teachers as a, I'm a real outside the box principal thinker. And I always wanted teachers to take risk and do new things and try things. And 
you know, I never wanted them to feel as though if they failed at it, I was going to say anything like really, we got to try different things to engage kids. I really am big into relevant learning because I was one of those kids. You were probably a great student. I was not. And I found (laughs) high school very irrelevant. And the things I found relevant in high school were, you know, drill team and and uh, yearbook staff. And both of those have served me quite well with leadership roles, with organization, with timelines, with things like that. But I didn't have a lesson specifically on those things. But I think as a principal, what I love from what you just said there is I had I had teachers who were fearful. Well, but I have to teach this up to this point during by quarter one. And they were just freaked out. And mm-hmm. I would literally have to say, what if you don't get to it? I mean, are the curriculum police coming? What if your <laughs> kids didn't get it yet? What if you have to go into second quarter? But this, like, I think NCLB kind of did this to us a little bit, where it was like, you have to teach all the same, the common core, like, it's got to be, everybody's this way. And kids aren't that way. And teachers aren't that way. And the art of teaching you bring up. So I almost think we have to give permission to just, you know, let some things drop. It's okay. Let's focus on some mental health. Let's focus on, you know, just having a good day today with each other. And and that's okay. We've kind of lost some yeah. fun. But I absolutely agree with you. And I think you're just completely spot on. And, you know, for those in a school building, they're all different types of people, right? I mean, that's yeah. the understatement of the year. But um, for absolutely. those that need the permission to do this, the data of student mental health suggests it. Yeah. Um, you can pull that from the American Academy of Pediatrics. You look at, look at the CDC Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Right. You can look at SAMHSA's data however you want to approach it. But the point is, it's never been more compelling to connect with kids. Yes. And then connect with kids is a vague statement. Okay, well then make it specific, make it purposeful. You know, you're, you're probably not in a school building, the school psychologist. You're lucky to have one if you do. Lucky. Um, but if you're the math teacher, the social studies teacher, the science nerd, whatever, um, there are two things that teachers have been taught since day one to impact, self-esteem and self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to feel justified, go look at some of the research on that. Martin Seligman, uh, Nell Noddings, hundreds more. You go look at their research about how significantly when you make someone switch from a low self-esteem to a positive, you go from a negative risk factor to a positive. When you believe or you convince someone, not that they can do everything, that's false hope. Mm-hmm. That, that's not appropriate, but that they have some resilience and some efficacy, not in all areas of life, but in some. Mm-hmm. And it allows a kid to hone in on what they're good at and to power through what they're bad at. And boosting those two concepts are in the wheelhouse of teachers. I would argue with Maslow's kids, has been around forever. Yeah, exactly. But it's 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 something that teachers do naturally and yeah, they do. Go back to the application you wrote to college when you wanted to pursue education oh, and the yeah. things you said, because hopefully they're still in your heart. And as cheesy as that sounds, those are the moments you still enjoy. Abandon the checklist, feel justified. Please. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, you know, I still covered the things that the state and the yes. district wanted me to, You're but I gave myself permission. Mm-hmm. I gave myself permission to connect with kids and focus on two specific things that I felt justified mm-hmm. in doing. And that was why I enjoyed my career. Principals, I'm giving you permission to give your teachers permission. (laughs) They need it. We got to go back to some cheesy, right? So that leads me up to what you're doing right now and the work that you're involved in with uh, Generation Esports, with uh, Gaming Concepts Curriculum. Let's bring everybody up to speed on what you're doing right now and the study you're involved in and how this is impacting kids and how you came to know about esports in schools. So if you want to, what did you think esports was before you started everything? Cause you're a parent, right? Sure. Sure. Um, so first of all, I am not a gamer. Um, Neither am I. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second thing, uh, <laughs> just to set the tone, I actually did a, a small study, um, regarding the impact of social media and screen time and was one of those folks out there talking about the screen time's bad. Um, sure. And I'll just leave it at that. And so then, I walk in to the high school I was teaching at and uh, get invited to an esports club meeting where they wanted kids to play against teachers and they were raising money for a charity. It, it all sounded good. It was fun. And right. Basically, 
kids were beating up on the teachers and Mario Kart and stuff like that. Oh, for so sure. I walk in to serve my penance and get destroyed. <laughs> and uh, as I entered the building of, we're, we were a pretty large high school. There were pretty much all of the kids that were on our watching worry list and they were happy yeah, and they were laughing mm. and they were talking and they were being kids. And those were the same kids that we were struggling with in the classroom environment. Those were a lot of those kids didn't have other extracurricular activities. Some did, some didn't. Um, but those were the kids that we worried about a lot. Now, did, did a bright light shine them? in like, Oh, you know, <laughs> well, it was a, it was a <laughs> humbling moment. Cause I thought to myself, you know, gosh, you really uh, judge this way too fast. Mm. And so the point is, I saw these kids find a social outlet. Um, it happened to be through video games. Mm. Um, and, you know, as we're learning quickly with right. screen time research, there are many different ways you can engage with screens. Some are horrific, some are neutral, some can be good. Right. But what I saw at this meeting, what drew me to, to esports um, was that I saw a lot of kids had found home oh had found yeah. a home. and you know just as other kids find that in band or baseball yes or cheer you talked about you found it in chess team. club um, yeah whatever we all needed a home this for a certain type of kid is their home and mm -hmm. i think all kids deserve that and so that was the first thing i noticed fast forwarding i had the opportunity to meet with some of the folks at generation esports um and i was impressed i, I was impressed well, I was ignorant and impressed. I knew nothing about gaming. But what I was impressed was they legitimately were were engaged and vested in figuring out, are we helping kids or hurting kids? Where are kids' vulnerabilities? How can we help them further? Um, what can we do to help schools? Because everyone at that meeting, just like the first part of our podcast, was like, yeah, student mental health is in a bad spot. No one and, argues you know what, it. So are staff. Right. right. So not that we can fix everything, but is there a niche that we could offer schools with esports? Is there a certain type of kid that we can rescue? Mm -hmm. And then it's not just enough. Here's what I really liked about them. Um, Cause I was still kind of rolling my eyes, but what I really liked sure. about them was how do we take that niche and leverage something legitimate so that we're not just providing a home for those kids, but while they're at their metaphorical home, we are boosting their self-esteem and their self-efficacy the same way, Chris, that you want to do that in math and science and band. Let's and pause there for that, a second. That's, they were willing to look at leveraging the new idea or the new strategy. Correct. And see how it made a difference. It, it, and maybe, maybe. Yeah, Kristen, maybe it was easy for them because, you know, esports is new and it, it's, it's kind of outside the box to begin with, right? And um, so maybe that was just the fact that they were innovative. They were willing to roll with how do we walk into a school and play by their rules and create standards and, you know, make it legitimate and make it truly scholastic in nature. But also, we know we got these cohort of kids that gravitate towards us. We also mm -hmm. are aware that a lot of these kids have some vulnerabilities that we might be able to support. So how do we do that? Right. So, so what are what so you're involved in what part of the gaming concepts curriculum? Because now, you know, we have we're starting to see, I think, a lot across the country, the esports clubs. Sure. And they're seeing that they're who was it was telling me, I think I was at a conference last week and they were showing in the data that about 10 percent of students were getting uh, involved if you start mm -hmm. an esports program. So whatever your population is, you can you can bank on about 10% of kids getting involved. So what has your is, been your role been with Christy and Mike on actually implementing, you know, a curriculum and what is some of the research that you've done so far and, and are continuing to do and talk to us about that. Sure. Well um, Christy and Mike or Dr. Custer and Dr. Russell, I should yes. give them credit, uh, yes. are just the greatest people. And they come from education as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but really I walked into this when they had already created something wonderful. Um, they had created gaming concepts curriculum, which was a way to, you know, attach standards, objectives, and goals that paired with states and some national organizations. And really the goal was to legitimize scholastic gaming. And it was to create 
a legit class, mm-hmm. you know, um, where, and now they're working on, we're all working together on 2.0, which would be more of a CTE type credit. But the point is to create a class for kids to take in school. They had written just an immense curriculum at that point. And they were so amazing and innovative that when I walked in and kind of gave my spiel, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at, you know, they were finishing up Gaming Concepts 1.1 and we looked at how can we attach mental health moments? We don't want to force them. They need to be authentic. We don't mm-hmm. want to fall into the same trap that has failed for 20 years, which is mm-hmm. an awkward one-off attempt at SEL. The but awkward, rather, yep. Yeah. Ha- you know, are there some lessons where we can connect teachable moments that will increase uh, positive self-esteem or develop efficacy or demonstrate some life skills. So, and there were, there were tons. So, you know, we talked about like, how would you pitch esports to your community knowing that some people will be against it? And can you design a presentation and how are you going to anticipate mm. the criticism that you're going to get? And how does one deal with professional criticism, which is fine. Kids should be open to that versus unprofessional remarks. And how do you grow as an individual? How do you control your emotions when someone's attacking something you love? And this is a topic that these kids loved and are excited about. And so the comments and just the discussions just explode out of that. And Mm. the kids don't even realize we're teaching them SEL. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're going to talk about gaming concepts and we're going to use a video game to do it. But what we're really teaching them, and that's just one lesson, you know, we can build, um, how would you market uh, esports to your school? and, And Let's talk about inclusion and how do you market to people who may not feel involved in other things and how do you approach them? Cause they might feel a little sheepish and you don't want to call them out for not being involved in things. How do you demonstrate empathy? You can see where this is going. Any yeah. administrator or teacher has been around for a while. Ugh. You are using gaming concepts as a legitimate class. Yeah. But what you're really using it for is for those kids that are drawn to it in the same way the kids are drawn to debate team and band or whatever. You are taking their home run fun thing to talk about and you're leveraging it to teach mental health moments through positive self-efficacy, through positive self-esteem. And to be honest, um, while every cohort of kids can be found around the building, there are a lot of kids gravitating towards esports that could use the help. Mm-hmm. Not all. Some are in great places. Just right. like some are in great places in track. But there are a lot of kids in esports that would benefit from connecting with positive self-esteem lessons and positive self-efficacy lessons. And instead of schools putting their hands up in the air and saying, I wish we knew what to do with these kids, we'll schedule another lecture in the gym. Nah, I mean, you've got a great venue to really Mm -hmm. draw them in, capture them and teach them life lessons. Yeah. So you you make me think of a lot of questions here that I, that I want to, to hit on. So the mental health moments is something that is currently being studied because, again, we go back to we want to make sure that it's not helping. I mean, it's not hurting anybody, but how is it helping? Because obviously that's what we want to do in schools with with the research and what we know to be true about mental health right now. So that's happening. So what do you say to people that have, for example, I think there, you, you had, you know, you were rolling your eyes. You had a perception of, of gamers. Mm-hmm. I had a perception of gamers. I happen to love a gamer uh, who my son, who I say gaming actually helped him survive the pandemic because he really had no friends because we just moved schools and we were all wearing masks and we were hybrid. And his one friend that lived up in another city, three hours away, that was his connection. And I could hear him talking constantly. I felt like he was being social in a time when kids were craving being social. Mm-hmm. And so I started to change my thinking around gamers. So I think there's a real misperception of gamers just sit in the basement. They're wasting their life away. They're playing shooting games. Hence, they become school shooters. The, you know, we hear all of this stuff around the perception of gamers. So as you got to know it more from a, from a doctor who specializes and is really into, and, and the teaching background, the mental health, how would you change that perception of somebody was saying to you? Cause I get this even talking to principals around the country and gaming really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think um, you bring up a very good point. And, and really it was the gaming industry, not so much the kids who engage in gaming that I, that I wasn't sure about or, 
you know, had that metaphorical internal eye roll about like, oh, the gaming industry could offer this or that. Mm-hmm. But I think what it is, is it's kind of what we touched on earlier. It is a activity that a lot of kids like. Yes. Right. And I think what any parent or school administrator or teacher would want for a kid is to feel connected and valued. Correct. They're not going to feel that everywhere in their life. But if there are places in their life that they feel connected to others and valued, then we got something to work with. Mm-hmm. We, we have a platform to help them. And I think for a lot of kids, gaming is one of those platforms. In particular, that's important if you have a kid who doesn't feel like they fit in elsewhere, mm-hmm. but they're happy to show up to a gaming class or they're happy to go to an esports club. Mm-hmm. Now I've got them. I, I've got my time with them. I can do things with them to help them. Um, but to backtrack a little bit, uh, I needed to learn. And yeah, so I asked same. Generation Esports if we could um, do a study and we called it our phase one inquiry. And okay. we were just looking at mental health determinants of kids. And what we did was we used some legitimized, validated scales for self-esteem, for self-efficacy that are quantifiable, that have been used repeatedly in, in healthcare and non-healthcare settings. We were not looking to try and create something of our own. We wanted to use tests and metrics that are been proven. And teachers and so we just do sent those naturally. That's just natural. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we sent out a survey to um, a school district that volunteered to help, very diverse school district um, across the board. Um, and had multiple high schools and middle schools participate. And it was a small number of respondents. I think it was only about 220. But it gave us some very interesting data to confirm suspicions that we knew to be true. Mm-hmm. And that is there are there's an underrepresentation of females in, in esports. Mm. Um, there's actually um, various cohorts that gravitate towards esports in a good way um, that we feel like we can help. We saw a, a fairly significant amount of um, LGBTQ kids that felt mm-hmm. comfortable coming to esports, which is great if that can be another home. Um, we saw certain types of cohorts of kids. We also saw, sadly, that um, self-esteem scores were low and self-efficacy was all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting when you look at kids that had a high self-efficacy but low self-esteem. There's yeah. a lot of possible reasons for that. One of them being, to be honest, do we tell kids too much they can do anything and then when they can't, they feel worthless. Oh, And so we can't prove that, but it sparked our thoughts. But what we really did with this study is we identified some vulnerabilities in kids that happen to gravitate towards esports, and we wrote Gaming Concepts 1.1 straight at it. And we're writing 2.0 straight at it. And that's not enough. That's a great start. That is an evidence-based decision and an evidence-based document. We know how to help kids. And we wrote our curriculum to do that. And we're very proud of it. And we're happy to see schools purchase it. But what I think really the onus on us to go the extra mile, I don't think it's just a good thing. I think it's the moral imperative. We're now I agree. what is the impact of our gaming concepts curriculum? Yes, we identified vulnerabilities. Yes, Christy, Mike did a fabulous job. And I tried to help out too, to target specific needs that we saw from kids on that survey, right? So we Mm -hmm. wrote to what they needed. We didn't just Mm -hmm. write a general, you know, let's help mental health curriculum. We targeted specific vulnerabilities that we saw in gamers. Now we're working with more than 34 schools across the nation, including Mm -hmm. Canada, more than 1,100 kids. Wow. And we want to know quantifiably at three points in time, did the kids, did the students Self-esteem, self-efficacy, and life skills improve. And it's not their opinion. It's measured numerically. And we're doing it through the course of this semester. We've already cleared round one. We're excited about round two and three. And we're going to just, we'll have the data. Did we improve them by 10%, by 20%? You know, what did we do? Because we want to come back to schools and say, hey, we knew we did the right thing. And here's the outcome data. And here's the the reason. Yeah. So you've gotten round one data back already or... Still looking uh, yes, through it. it is. We have, well, as you pointed out earlier, it's been an interesting January with Omicron. Oh, but, that's um, true. Yeah. But the, but the uh, schools, the teachers that have been invested in this have been just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they know the inclusion criteria, the study, what we have to do um, to make sure that it's, you know, distributed fairly and equitably across every school. Uh, and then we've tossed out schools that didn't meet the inclusion criteria and we're keeping the ones that do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, yeah, we're looking at, you know, demographics, socioeconomics, um, how kids identify themselves, uh, male, female, non-binary, LGBTQ. We're just looking at all the cohorts we possibly can to see who are we helping? Who are we not helping? How do we get better? Yeah. Oh, is it, does the original stuff look pretty promising? Like, yeah, you got another well, couple rounds or is it just kind of out of whack because of Omicron right now? So it's not real. No, um, it's actually, I mean, I think that's relevant. I mean, you, you can't, yeah. you don't want to test kids in a bubble. You want to test them in life. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Round one data was to establish a baseline. And we asked teachers to give it within a certain time frame before they had much interaction with gaming concepts. Why? Because we need a baseline. Round two and three will be after they've been working with gaming concepts and we can hopefully demonstrate growth over time. So we are not looking for snapshots. This is a longitudinal study, which makes it tough. Uh-huh. But the staff, the administration, and our team is invested in that. We want to do yeah. it right. So when I talked to uh, Mike on another podcast or just in talking with him, because I know him as well, um, he talked about kids, you know, I think for a long time, gamers have been at home instead of when I saw, cause I've implemented esports in a couple places. And what I saw was when it finally got into the school, I felt like kids were then no longer at home. They were, mm-hmm. they found their people at school. Right. <clears throat> right. And when you find your peer group at school, then you become more successful in your other classes. So Mike, for example, who had it with his kids, saw an improvement in their discipline, in their confidence, in their writing skills, in their reflections. Uh, Some schools have been putting it in first hour because Mm -hmm. they need kids to get to school. And that's an attendance check, like to get them. That's the hook to get them there. What were some other things that I think you found? I think you talked about, you mentioned LGBTQ and you, I think you've talked about one time uh, the, the percentage and in comparison to the other title nine sports and things that we have going on in school. Can you share a little bit of that data? Yeah, sure. Um, so there is <laughs> full confession. I'm struggling with the mnemonic GLSEN, which I think is gay, yeah, lesbian, that's straight, gay education lesbian straight education network. Yes. Okay. Has done some wonderful research that I want to give them credit for. Um, yes. but one of the things that they've looked at them, thousands of metrics of data. But one of the things they looked at was um, how do how does the LGBTQ adolescent community engage in um, sports or extracurricular activities and where do we see them engaging and where, where do some not? Um, and there was a statistic about like recreational and Title IX sports in schools and um, how there was only like around 8% or so of kids that were engaging in, in that across all those opportunities. And yet what we're seeing is that in esports alone, right? So mm-hmm. we're not just adding football, dance team, cheer, all those things together. In right. esports alone, it looks like preliminarily, preliminarily, that about seven to ten percent of our respondents associate LGBTQ in the esports alone. Um, so esports mm-hmm. is not customized for one cohort. It's it's not just there for a certain type Absolutely. of kid. It's there for all kids. Right. But the point is, is this that if it happens to be another opportunity where kids can feel like it's a safe space, great. Right. You know, I, I would wish that for every cohort. Um, and so I think, you know, as we study this and we get data back, again, it, it's, it, it's you realize it's dynamic and ever moving forward, right? And so it's, what are we doing well now? Who are the cohorts we've captured and are keeping happy? Great, keep that going. And then how do we reach out to other kids who we're not capturing? And if it's because... They're fine doing basketball. Great. Then Great. let that kid do basketball. Absolutely. But it's just it's just a matter of, you know, the way I look at it is if you present to any school in America, hey, I have yet another opportunity for kids to be connected with other kids, socialize, feel valued, and feel part of a group. Oh, by the way, it's evidence-based. <laughs> oh, by the way, while they're there, because they want to be we're going to work on their self-esteem and self-efficacy because teachers are trained for it, capable, and we know it boosts mental health. Who would say no? And, you know, and, it's, it's, and, and if that were lacrosse, great. And if that's you right. know, um, a different form Theater. of rock, right, then yeah. I'm all for Poetry. that. Poetry, yeah. And so I'm just, you know, as, as, a, as a parent, 
I, I look at my, my oldest kid right now, you know, she's dabbling in sports and music and she's just being a kid. She's trying out stuff. But at some point I hope she loves something. Yeah. You know? and, and it, and if that's swim or band or theater or esports, I don't care as yeah. long as she's happy and she's connecting with good kids. Yeah. I find that fascinating because I don't know if you know, but my dissertation and my work was with how to provide positive supports for LGBTQ students in schools. Um, because I saw, if you know anything about the GLSEN research, which obviously you do, they are, you know, the most, they're the highest need for mental health. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I think we've also seen that they're more comfortable coming out sooner rather than later. And so you're seeing them from elementary on up feeling, and I think it's great. I think that they do feel a sense of safety more so than they used to say 20 years ago, but Mm -hmm. there's still work to be done around the mental health and how they feel at school and the safety they feel at school. And I think we have a lot, again, we go back to that good intentions. We have a lot of good intentions where we might have a GSA club or, uh, I know in my case, we invited them and just, we just had lunch, just gave them a place to, to talk together. I don't know if that's really as intentional as we need to be though, mm-hmm. as something like this, because it's part of, it's embedded that you don't even have to be like, here, here's the LGBTQ. This is where they go. It doesn't matter. You're just going right. to esports, So any kid can be there. There's no gender attached to it. You don't have to play it since you were three to be able to make mm-hmm. the team. You can learn about it in the curriculum because we're not basing it on the curriculum, for example, isn't just about learning the games. There's so much more to it. The games is just the avenue. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think um, we, I mean, since the dawn of time, they made movies about this. You know, kids have like, my life was changed by sports and that was my chance yes. to connect and feel valued and whatever. Yes. And Only reason no I showed reason up to school was to play basketball. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there's no, there's no reason that that can't be in esports Now, as a, as a former educator, it's got to be legit. It's got to adhere to standards. Yep. It, it needs to get credit. Yep. Um, it needs to check a lot of boxes for a school yes. to, to buy in. And, and that's why we created a curriculum and that's why we're doing it. And so, you know, Christy and Mike are just geniuses of what they do. And, I agree. And so they uh, they did that for people. I like to tease them, in fact, and like, but is that the state standard in Texas? No. What is it in California? And they know. And so I can't tease them anymore. But it, because you know, they tied it, let's go back to that, because they tied it to career tech ed standards and competencies. So right. for that for that next level one, as long as you have the digital media strand, You've right. already got it approved. Yes. And so we realized that, you know, good ideas for schools mm-hmm. have to fit in the framework of schools. Absolutely. Right? There's a million good ideas, but they have to work in a school building. You bet. All of us on our team have come from school buildings. And the goal is for this to be turnkey ready for yep. the administrator, for the teacher. Yeah. Right. The last thing they need is extra prep. No thanks. Nope. It's got to be turnkey Done ready. Done for you. And, and it's got to check the boxes so yep. that it can show the district that it's doing what it needs to do. And then once that's established, which I believe it is, then there's the part that I feel passionate about, which is I have given more kids a new home to connect, to feel valued. And by golly, while they're there, the same way a good basketball coach works on life skills and self-esteem, yeah. we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to do the same thing. And it's going to be a natural discussion. It's written into the curriculum. Yeah, Teachers can follow it word for word, or they can just say, oh, okay, we should talk about this and go rogue with their own words. That's fine. Be a teacher. Right. But the point is the template's there. Um, and, you know, and, and to be fair and balanced, look, I still, as, as a former ER physician, seeing the impact of social media and those kids coming in mm-hmm. to the ER in dire straits. That's not mm. lost on me. You know, I don't practice anymore, but I remember that. Oh, and of I will course. always remember that. Mm-hmm. Suicidal ideations, depression. Um, I saw the, it all the time right? as a principal, all the time. Yeah. And so do I have issues with social media and screen time? You bet. Do I believe the American Academy of Pediatrics data? Absolutely. Yep. Is that what esports is? Not at all. No. And I'm embarrassed to say that I kind of thought it was. Yeah. And now that I see how it's differentiated, I feel different about it. Um Am I still going to be uh, sweating bullets over my kid when she finally gets a social media account? Yeah, big time. Well, you should. 
<laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we I, should be but, aware, right? Right. But would I fret if my daughter, you know, busts dad's dream of being a softball player, but says, I've got four friends I really love in esports, and that's why I feel good about school. I'm going to pat my kid on the back and say, I'm happy you're happy. Yeah, I'll um, be there. So I'll be I there cheering think... yawn at your next competition. Exactly, exactly. So um, I think that's the thing that I most am excited about and feel proud of. And and I'm also glad that that we are committed to doing the right thing, our team. And I'm glad that the company is backing us. Um, I work as an independent consultant. Right. But yeah, I mean, I'm a part of this effort. And I will tell you, I was worried that the company would create the curriculum, launch it out legitimately, right? but then wouldn't follow it to see the impact and seeing them committed to, no, 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 no. We want the impact. We want to know where did we help mm -hmm. and where did we fall short? I love it. Because we're going to make sure we give schools exactly what they need. That impressed me. And that's the educator side coming through, that this isn't just just a random thing. This is very well thought out. And I love that they have you a part of it. And I really appreciate you coming on today and and talking to us a little bit about mental health and where you're, what you're doing now, because I think it's awesome. So how could people get in touch with you, Chris, if they wanted to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, that's very kind. Um, I am on LinkedIn under my name, very creatively, Christopher Jensen, J-E-N-S-O-N. Mm -hmm. um, there is also a website that I use for consulting and presentations, and it's www.diagnosingeducation. Ooh. Because that's what I try to do. You try diagnosing to diagnose education. education. <laughs> Some days better than others. Um, but diagnosingeducation.com. And those are probably the two most likely venues. Well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun doing this. Yes. Yes. And, it, and you know, and, and I got to say, um, this reminds me, this project reminds me of the fun part of being a teacher. Ugh. And so going back to when we opened this podcast, uh, I realized not every listener is going to engage in C-sports. So right. if you can, great. If you see it as a way to give kids a new home, great. That's what I believe. But even if it doesn't come to your school, I would still go back to what we said at the very beginning. Please leverage your content leverage to connect with kids mm -hmm. and do the fun part of teaching because you've never been more justified to do it. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for doing it. Um, I was in the trenches with you for 10 years yep. and I feel like I, I know that job. Um, and there's never a moment in my life where I won't regret going into a classroom. I'm always glad I went, but there's also never a moment in my life where I won't be a teacher advocate and a principal advocate. And especially the last two years, a superintendent yeah. advocate. Uh-huh. And board members. You know, yes, just yes, absolutely. So, with that, I hope we can bring some fun and joy back to the classrooms with with this curriculum and with esports and and uh, have some fun again. So, thanks for being on the show today, Chris. Oh, thank you. It was a blast. I appreciate the opportunity.